All right, welcome back to another exciting episode of P.S. Spooky Shiz. I'm Chappie, your host, and in today's episode, we will be getting into the Vatican, evil popes and where the demons lie, and all kinds of dark secrets that are uncovered, and also many, many conspiracy theories. <laughs> all right, with that being said, let's jump into what we got. We are on the track today of exploring the dark secrets connected to the Vatican and seeing what articles are out there with this information. Uh, this is in no way a dig at Catholicism or the people who have those beliefs. We're going to be talking about everything from stories that have happened at the Vatican to some of their dark secrets and stuff. And I in no way am saying that Catholicism as a whole is corrupted um with some of these claims but that is for each person to do their own research and decide on that themselves so with that being said as a little disclaimer here we go we're gonna start over on the article thetop10s.com where they have an article top 10 dark secrets of the vatican by hi there yeah not only did the vatican pave the road out of Europe for thousands of Nazis, but the Vatican also helped smuggle various items that were properly that were property of Jewish families. The financial advisor of the Vatican at the time, Bernardino Nagara, is thought to have possibly been a Nazi spy. He supposedly had incorporated an agenda that is purely evil plan that enabled the Vatican to invest its money in Italian certain insurance companies that kept assets from life insurance plans of many Jewish families who were almost all annihilated. Given the Vatican invested and was not a direct source insurance, they didn't need to return any of the money they got from the life insurance plans of hundreds of thousands of dead Jews by using this plan. Considering how the Vatican was at the time, a nation within a nation which was a primary axis power during the Holocaust, we're talking about Italy, of course, this shouldn't be as baffling as it is. But if this isn't a dark secret, I don't know what is. The involvement the Vatican had in World War II is more than you think. In all honesty, given the relationship between Hitler and Mussolini, you should not be surprised. After World War II started coming to its end, the Nazis were going to be charged with mass, or mass genocide. They mostly went to seek refuge in South America, Thousands of Nazis escaped their ill fates by hiding in mostly Argentina, Chile, and Brazil. However, the travel documents used to get the Nazis into South America indicate the Vatican helped the Nazis travel to these countries. This is an argument that this was done because the Vatican wanted to revive European Christianity or that the Vatican was afraid of increasing the amount of influence the Soviet Union had on the rest of Europe. The Vatican refuses to confirm or deny these claims, but I, I don't. I think this had nothing to do with Christianity or the Soviet Union. I say it's simply corrupt intervention because the guy who ran the rest of Italy, notably not the Pope, was chums with Hitler, and the Pope wanted to be in Mussolini's good graces. Take that with a grain of salt, though. All right... Number three, the Vatican had ties with the Mafia. In the third installment of the Godfather movies, a corrupt deal between the Mafia and the Vatican eventually got the Pope killed. 
While we don't exactly have enough to make this a fact, it's possible that that's not from the director's imagination. On September 29, 1978, Pope John Paul I was sitting up in his bed, but he was a corpse. John Paul I had been the Pope only for a bit more than a month, very similar to the likes of the President of the United States, William Henry Harrison. Vatican officials say that John Paul I died of a heart attack, but that was never an but there was never an autopsy on the body to prove this. And when he died, the Vatican had undisputable ties to un, to organized crime, including the American mafia. As if to put an emphasis on that, in 1982, the president of the Vatican Bank, Father Paul Markinkus, resigned from his position after a trial of scams and scandals showed that the Vatican Bank had strong ties to the mafia. After some time, the Vatican Bank had to refund more than $200 million in American dollars to creditors. Father Paul Markinkus was never charged for a crime, but he has been suspected in playing a hand in lots of sudden deaths, even John Paul even Pope John Paul I. Number four, the Vatican has Swiss guards. This might seem like a weird inclusion, especially considering how weird is not the theme of this list, but hear me out. While in present day, Switzerland has a reputation of being a pacifist nation, back in the 1500s, they were a force to be reckoned with, along the lines of what the United States is today unstoppable in the right hands. Swiss armies were famous for mastering a lethal weapon called a halbert, which is kind of what you get if you combine a spear and an axe. Their ground troops were equally known for destroying, destroying armies of foes while riding on horseback. Once Pope Julius II had seen their fierce military capability in battle five centuries ago, he recruited a handful of soldiers at, as his bodyguards. And to this day, Swiss guards have been the loyal bodyguards of the Pope, and from time to time sacrifice their lives for the Pope. I guess when you want to be protected from those who want you dead, you work with what you know has been a success. Number five, the Vatican has the highest crime rate of any nation. The Vatican can also handle drug problems and issued their first drug conviction in 2007. Number six, the Vatican gave Nazis gold. At this point, are you even remotely surprised? A document dating back to 1946 suggests that the Vatican may have smuggled Nazi gold during World War II, even though the Vatican was a neutral force. This document was shown to the general public in 1997, and it claimed that the Vatican Bank obtained 200 million francs, which is roughly $254 million in present day, and that the Vatican was sending all the money to Nazis. The money was put through this thing referred to as the Vatican Pipeline, which goes to Argentina and Spain, where it was sent to Nazis who left Germany to escape punishment for war crimes. The Vatican Bank also sent money that was stolen from Serbs and murdered Jews through Atashe, a Nazi puppet nation in Croatia. Towards the end of the World War II, the Utashe started stealing from the victims of their ethnic cleansings, and they sent about 350 million Swiss francs, which is hundreds of millions in American dollars, out of Yugoslavia to go through the Vatican. This money wasn't sent to Nazis escaping work crime, though. It was used to fund the 
Dashe organization while they were a government in exile, which is quite close to funding Nazi Germany in and of itself. Number seven, two modern-day popes have performed exorcisms. With scientific advancements, it's hard to believe that exorcisms, these rituals that rid people in places of demons, are still practiced. But contrary to popular belief that they were done up until the Middle Ages, there are still a few hundred exorcists on Earth, and there are four more working in Rome, or the Vatican, collectively. While they usually left to priests to perform, two relatively recent popes have done exorcisms in the Vatican. The first one was conducted by Pope John Paul II in March of 1982. Francesca Fabrizi, a young Italian woman, during the exorcism, she thrashed and wailed, much like someone possessed by a demon. Her cure was when the Pope said he would say Mass for her the next day. Afterwards, she lived in a very normal life, getting married and having kids. Pope John Paul did another exorcism in September of 2000 with very similar circumstances, although he failed, and the woman he performed on had to have follow-up exorcism on her, performed by performed by Father Amorth the next day. The second pope to have done an exorcism, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, performed it on May. The people getting performed on were two men who were howling in the pope's weekly audience. Supposedly, their demons left them when Pope Benedict blessed the men, and they flew nine feet back and were as good as new. While it's questionable whether the exorcisms truly had these effects or not, there's no denying they happened. In some ways, such as longevity of a term, being the Pope is usually not that different from being a Supreme Court Justice in the United States. Hmm. But just like every other profession, there are a couple of exceptions. Popes aren't allowed to retire. But it's not exactly something Catholics look at kindly. It goes against Catholic values, so it's rare for a Pope to resign. In the past millennium, there were there have been 123 popes, and out of them, only five have resigned or retired, making the odds of a pope resigning at 4.07%. The first pope to resign was Pope Benedict the Ninth. Um, it's IX, who was the uh, one of the youngest popes and was perhaps 20 when he became pope. He is the only person to have served multiple terms as Pope as well. He was forced out of the papacy, which is just a way to say he was no longer the Pope, in 1036, but he became Pope again a few months afterwards. However, he had certain endeavor that was problematic. He wanted to get married, which goes against the Catholic rules for the Popes. In the end, he sold the papacy, the Pope who came after him, Pope Gregory VI. Unfortunately, Benedict regretted stepping down as the woman he wanted to marry didn't want to marry him. After he sorted out this mistake, he eventually became Pope. Once again, in November of 1047, Pope Gregory VI, who stepped down at the urging of the bishops, he denied he did anything wrong but resigned nonetheless in 1046. After him, there was a pretty steady 200 years between further resignations. Pope Sestine V resigned in 1294, and Pope Gregory VII in, or the, the 12th in 1415, and the final pope to resign broke the theme by roughly 600 years. The final pope to resign was Pope Benedict XVI in 2013. 
although there are a few people who believe he was forced out. This isn't really as dark as some of the others, although I guess it does look bad that Benedict the Ninth seemed to not take the position that seriously. Right? Number nine, you can read the letters to the Pope. The Vatican's secret archives are not purely unknown due to Pope Leo VIII, or the 13th. Letting scholars visit the Vatican in 1881, in present day the archives are even more accessible than then. Tourists are allowed to view the discussions between every pope for the past millennia. But like everything that sounds too good to be true, there's a clause. In order for them to do this, tourists must know precisely what they're looking for. Although there are about 52 miles worth of shelves in the Vatican archives, the librarians forbid browsing. The most famous existing letter to the Pope is perhaps King Henry VIII's asking for his marriage to Catherine of Aragon would be viewed as invalid by the Pope, which the Pope Clement VII said no to. Number 10, the Vatican Bank isn't in the books. The Vatican Bank was established during the start of World War II, 1942 to be exact, and the purpose behind this was to elude the restrictions that Allied forces put on financial transactions. Italy was one of the powers fighting the Allies, and the Allied troops didn't want the money to reach their enemies. Economic warfare, basically. Not every pope has lived in the Vatican. This is not too different from how every president of the United States lived in the White House during their presidency. Originally, the pope lived in the Lateran Palace in Rome. They even left Rome completely in 1309, after King Philip IV got the ball rolling for French cardinal to become the pope. And the papal court migrated from Rome, Italy, to Avignon, France. Seven French popes did their duties in Avignon, and the papacy did not return to Rome until 1377. But once the papacy returned to Rome, the Lateran palace was destroyed, burned to the ground. That's what the Vatican became, the place where Pope resides, where the papal court is, and where Catholicism itself is at its finest, for almost 700 years. Angel Gomez, chief exorcist of the Vatican, performed 100,000 plus exorcisms. 13. The posthumous trial of Pope Formosus. I heard about this. Uh, it's basically where the reigning Pope <laughs> got the corpse of the past Pope, dressed it up in all the papal dignitary uh, robes, hats, rings, everything, and placed him up on a throne or a chair and basically had a trial and called all the people in there to be present for this trial, if this is the same one. But that did happen. <laughs> all right. So this happened in 897 AD when the body of Pope Formosus was unearthed and taken to a courtroom presided over by the then current Pope whose only intention was to find Pope Formosus guilty. If you're not familiar with the term synod, it's an ecclesiastical council or gathering where decisions about issues related to faith or disciplinary matters are determined. While trying a dead body would be beyond weird in Vatican City today, the Cadaver Synod took place during a time when political mechanisms or mechanizations ruled the papacy, long before the 11th century reforms that regulated papal elections. In the TikTok video I saw about that, it basically said he had his own defense attorney and everything, uh, but the goal was to find his former guilty of whatever. Vatican City Secrets. This is from Rome.us. 
It was written by Kate Zussman. The Vatican City has less than 1,000 citizens and only 44 ha of the territory, but is one of the richest governments in the world and with complex and full of secrets history. Let's talk about interesting stories, theories, and facts connected with the smallest independent country in the world. Secret Archive. The Vatican does not, or does have a collection of archival documents from the Middle Ages to the present day, but many experts believe that among the documents, there is also erotic literature of ancient Rome, Michelangelo's pornographic works of art, and other classified materials. However, according to unverified data, there is almost accurate collection of occult literature worldwide. There's the most accurate collection of occult literature worldwide. I think that's might be where some of the rumors that the papacy or the Vatican is involved in the occult. Um, but let's keep on going through these uh, secrets because I believe there's actually a cult that infiltrated the Vatican at one time. But we'll get into that later. The murder of Lincoln. Lincoln was convinced that the Jesuits created the prerequisites of the American Civil War and did not hide it. For the denunciation of the papacy, he paid with his life. Thus, there is a belief that the president was killed by the Jesuits, who acted on the instructions of the Vatican. The Banco Ambrosiano Scandal Vatican scandals and secrecy usually revolve around money and banking, and the Banco Ambrosiano Scandal is one of the most famous among them. From 1971 until 1989, the Vatican Bank on or the Institute of the Works of Religion, was presided over by an American Archbishop, Paul Marquinkus, that we've already mentioned. Sometime recently, its collapse in 1982, impelled by an unfavorable debt, Banco Ambrosiano was among Italy's biggest private, private banks. After the bank ceased operations, its general manager, Roberto Calvi, died a strange death. His dead body was found dangling from the Blackfriars Bridge in central London. At first, it was thought Calvi took his own life, but afterwards it showed that he was killed. In reality, it emerged that the whole case was a grim associations with the Vatican Bank. A major shareholder in Banco Ambrosiano, billions of dollars were siphoned from the private bank to a dozen shell companies. When specialists attempted to approach Marquinkus on the matter, he got to be inaccessible for them, disobliging the justice framework in each conceivable way and utilizing diplomatic immunity. Marquinkus continued running the Institute of Works of Religion for several more years after the scandal erupted. However, the banking scandal ended up in fiction. Godfather Part 3 spun around the Banco Ambrosiano scandal, as well as the suspicious 1978 passing of Paul John Paul I, Pope John Paul I, who served just one month before being found dead. And then a few years after his death, British crime writer David Yallop published a book titled In God's Name, which suggested that John Pope the Paul or Pope John Paul I had been murdered. Right? Yelp claims that the Pope was aware of corruption within the Vatican Bank and that it became why he was killed. He states that when the Pope's body was found, he had a note crumpled in his hand, which with the names of bank members involved in Freemasonry, which is strictly banned within the Catholic Church. However, today the official cause of death remains a heart attack. Moreover, in the 16th century, Siena could 
Cathedral featured a bust of Joan among their other pontiffs, which was removed after protests in 1600. All right, the Army of Exorcists. Even though we live in the 21st century, exorcism is alive within the Catholic Church. In fact, Father Gabriel Armoth, or Amorth, the former chief exorcist of the Vatican, who died only in 2016, claimed to have performed 130,000 exorcisms in his time. Moreover, the BBC reported in 2018 that the Vatican welcomed 250 priests from around the world to an annual exorcism school because the church believes there has been an uptick in demonic possessions in recent years. Exorcism is recognized under the Catholic Church's canon law, but can only be performed with high-level permission from the church. Five years ago, the Vatican backed the International Association of Exorcists, founded in 1990, and has licensed more than 200 members of on six continents. As we've already mentioned, the next one says Vatican smuggled Nazis to safety. The Vatican Refugee Commission knowingly provided Nazi refugees with false identities and helped get them across. Of course, the making money off of the Holocaust. All right, leaking secrets. In 2012, Italian journalist Giovanni Luigi Nuzzi published a book called His Holiness, The Secret Papers of Benedict the 16th, which consists of private correspondence and other classified documents of the then pope leaked to Nuzzi by Benedict's personal butler. The book represents the inner life of the smallest government of the world and discusses many topics that the Vatican is not normally afforded to the public. For instance, such topics as corruption within the Holy See and many scandals that previously were hidden from the public. There is also a secret court for extremely bad sins. Particular crimes in the Catholic justice system are considered hein heinous. In Vatican City, bishops of the extra-legal tribunal who work with these sins are members of an elite membership known as the Apostolic Peniten Penitentiary. Penitenti Penitentiary, or something like that. As the Telegraph explains, the Apostolic Penit Penitentiary, or the Tribunal of Conscience, was founded by Pope Alexander III in 1179, it remained secret until 2009. The feature of the system is that only the Pope can grant absolution for the sins. Examples of the crimes included attempted murder, the Pope, a priest having sex with someone, or spitting out a communion wafer. Oh, wow. Those are extremely bad. <laughs> the Pope, acting through his tribunal and its head, known as the Major Penitentiary, at the point, either gives absolution to the individual looking for mercy or lets the automatic banning that comes with such horrifying sins stand. Such cases are held secretly and, as they are considered a matter of conscience, is not an open concern, which is sure a conclusion one could reach. All right, very cool article. Alright, so we go over to Grinch.com where they have an article, Dark Secrets of the Vatican Revealed. Um, in this one, I'm going to skip around as we've already covered, you know, the World War II and the Nazis and how they helped smuggle people and benefited from the Holocaust and all that kind of stuff. So we'll just hit a couple of um, 
ones here. And although they are the same subjects that we've covered, like exorcisms, this one has more information. So I will dig into it. All right. This was written by Benito Serino in January of 2023. All right. The Vatican's Army of Exorcists. While in an age of modern psychology and neuroscience, it would be easy to dismiss exorcism as something from the Middle Ages and horror movies. The truth is that the practice is alive and well within the Catholic Church. In fact, Father Gabriel Amorth, the chief exorcist of the Vatican who died in 2016, as we've mentioned, claims to have performed over 130,000 exorcisms in his time. As further evidence, casting out demons isn't just a thing of the past. The BBC reports in 2018 about, you know, an influx of 250 priests welcomed into the exorcism school uh, because the church believes there's been an uptick in demonic possessions in recent years. Even Pope Francis himself said that people must not hesitate to see an exorcist in case of genuine spiritual disturbance. All right. Despite the controversy tied to exorcism due to its sensational nature and claims of abuse in their execution, such rites have been carried out even by popes in modern times. According to Father Amorth, John Paul II tried and failed to drive a demon out of a woman who was brought before him in St. Peter's Square, screaming, writhing, and drooling in 2000. Father Amorth claims that the woman was still possessed when he saw her later that day, as evidenced by her ability to walk up the wall like Spider-Man, so he had to finish off what John Paul II couldn't. Likewise, Amorth claims Benedict the Sixteenth slammed the devil out of two guys in 2009, and some suspect Pope Francis may have performed a public exorcism on a man in a wheelchair in 2013. Right, skipping over all the scandals of the Vatican Bank... I think we've covered all those. There is a Vatican $5 million cover-up. In the light of allegations of aiding and abetting the Third Reich, laundering money for organized crime, smuggling gold to help overthrow regimes, and seemingly countless abuse scandals, the idea of misappropriating tens of millions of dollars seems positively quaint by comparison. But nevertheless, a scandal and subsequent cover-up regarding some spendthrift monks in the 1970s proved to be very costly for the Vatican in terms of money and reputation. Right, as reported in the New York Times, members of a Masonic order of Philadelphia, known as the Paulines, raised money, in fact, millions of dollars for religious projects such as saying masses, building shrines, and renovating a cemetery, and did not actually do any of those things. Instead, these monks used these funds to purchase cars, televisions, stereos, and other luxury items a bunch of dudes who had taken a vow of poverty probably shouldn't have. The vicar general used misappropriated donations to keep a mistress, which feels a little like a, a double no-no, <laughs> as well as stealing half of the salaries of friends who he had appointed to the monastery jobs. A bunch of in real life, Friar Tucks, these boys. All right, leaking the Vatican secrets. In 2012, Italian journalist, uh, the Gianluigi Nuzzi, of course, wrote his book, His Holiness, The Secret Papers of the Benedict 16th, which 
was made up of pieces of private conversations between the Pope and the Pope's personal butler. Um, it kind of revealed the inner workings of the Vatican, not usually told to the public. And it also explains evidence of widespread corruption and revelations the Holy See is home to rampant jealousy and backstabbing. The leak scandal became known as the Vataleaks, because of course it did. Even wilder than though is, as the Guardian explains, when the Vatican started an internal investigation into the leak of these documents, they uncovered that individuals outside the Vatican were blackmailing an underground network of gay prelates who were allegedly holding gay orgies in villas, beauty parlors, and saunas in and around Rome. Many, including Pope Benedict's brother, believe the stress from these accumulating scandals contributed to Benedict's decision to resign from the papacy. This conclusion seems completely reasonable. A second round of leaks, known naturally as Vataleaks II, hit in 2015, again with a book by Newsy at the center of it. But as the New Yorker asserts, the sequel didn't have quite the same spicy excitement of round one. Whereas the original Vatalik showed Benedict as overwhelmed and unable to control the cyclone of corruption around him, the second set of documents focus on Francis as a bold reformer trying to clean house with Vatican bureaucracy. Sadly, no orgies in this one either. The average resident of the Vatican consumes 74 liters, about 20 gallons of wine per year. So that's pretty uh, notable and fascinating. All right, 10 Diabolical Things Supposedly Hidden Away in the Vatican by Ali Alani. One of the most intriguing rumors surrounding the Vatican secret archives involves the existence of the world's largest porn collection. Though claims from sources such as Copenhagen's Museum Erotica, William F. Buckley Jr. and Camille Paglia have resurfaced, verifying such allegations remains challenging. Nevertheless, there is historical evidence of erotic art within the Vatican, such as the infamous 16th century frescoes depicting explicit sexual positions in Cardinal Bibiana's private bathroom. Number two, the Essene Gospel of Peace. A fascinating theory resolves, revolves around the Essene Gospel of Peace, an alleged ancient Aramaic scripture found by Edmund Bordeaux Sekli in 1923. Sekli claims that this document contains teachings from the Anessis, a Jewish mystical sect with striking similarities to Jesus' teachings. However, skepticism surrounding the existence of this manuscript, with many suspecting it was a fabrication to support Sekli's vegetarian act activism. All right, number three, details of Jesus' bloodline. The notion that the Vatican possesses information regarding the bloodline of Jesus Christ has captivated many minds. The idea of Jesus being married with descendants has been a topic of speculation, and if such information were ever revealed, it could potentially shake the foundations of the church's hierarchy. Number four, the Grand Grimoire. The Grand Grimoire, an actual document, is rumored to be present in the Vatican secret archives. This grimoire supposedly contained dark rituals for summoning entities from the underworld, including the Prime Minister of Hell, Lucifuge Rufacali. 
The dark allure of this mysterious tome has garnered much interest among occultists and seekers of forbidden knowledge. Number five, the third secret of Fatima. The enigmatic third secret of Fatima, a prophetic vision received by three shepherd children in Portugal in 1917, has remained shrouded in secrecy. Despite partial revelations over the years, speculation persists that the Vatican might still withhold the full prophecy, with some believing it predicts an apocalyptic battle between good and evil, deeply involving the Pope. Number six, extraterrestrial artifacts. Surprisingly, the Vatican has shown openness to the idea of extraterrestrial life. Engaging in scientific discussions using the Vatican Observatory for Astrobiological Research, rumors claim that the Vatican, also long known about alien civilizations, has collected extraterrestrial artifacts and technical documents for alien weaponry. However, concrete evidence for this remains lacking. Number seven, the chronovisor. Father Pellegrino Ernetti claimed to have invented the chronovisor, a device capable of viewing past events, including moments from biblical history. While this claim lacks solid evidence, the tantalizing idea of witnessing historical events through time, warping lenses, has captured imaginations. Number eight, the devil in the Vatican. As the Vatican's senior exorcist, Father Gabriel Armorth, believe the devil resides within the Vatican itself, influencing scandals and corruption. While such claims might be seen as figurative by some, others maintain that the devil's influence can be traced within certain events in the church's history. Number nine, proof that Jesus wasn't crucified. A controversial, a controversial theory suggests that Jesus was not crucified as described in the Bible, but instead escaped execution through an elaborate deception involving Pontius Pilate. While this theory lacks concrete evidence, it raises intriguing questions about historical interpretations of significant events. And the last one, uh, proof that Pope Pius VII, or the Twelfth, helped Hitler. The role of Pope Pius XII during the Nazi era has been the subject of intense debate. Some claim that he covertly supported the Nazis, while others argued he worked to project, protect Jews from extermination. Limited access to historical documents concerning this period has fueled speculation and conspiracy theories. In conclusion, the Vatican's secret archives continue to be a source of fascination and speculation for many. While some theories about its contents might be based in hearsay or fabrication, the allure of hidden knowledge and secrets fuels ongoing interest and curiosity about what truly lies within the Vatican's most secretive vaults. We go over to theweek.com where there are 10 secrets of the Vatican exposed. Exorcisms, pickpockets, and the Pope's mall, or the Pope's mail. Regular exercise. Baudelaire once said the greatest trick of the devil ever put was convincing the world he doesn't exist. But in modern-day Vatican City, the devil is considered alive and well. The late Paul, Pope John Paul II personally performed three exorcisms during his reign, and Benedict XVI expanded the ranks of the Catholic-sponsored exorcists throughout the world. In fact, uh, Armoth, the church's chief exorcist, claims to ex have expelled 300 demons a year from the confines of his Vatican office. And there are some 350 exorcists operating on the behalf of the Catholic Church in Italy alone. 
Armoth also teaches bishops how to tell the difference between satanic possessions and psychiatric illnesses, noting that those who suffer from the former seem to be particularly repulsed by the sight of holy water and the cross. Number two, it's where thieves go to pray, as in P-R-E-Y, like a predator. Basically, it's just backing up the former claim that there's a lot of shoplifting and stuff that happened to tourists there. Uh, number three, the worst confessions. Some sins are simply too much for the local bishop to perform to forgive. While priests can absolve a sin as serious as murder, according to the church, there are five specific sins that require absolution from the apostolic penitentiary. A secretive tribunal has met off and on for the past 830 years, but in January of 2009, for the first time ever, its members held a press conference to discuss their work. Three of the five sins they contemplate can only be committed by the clergy. If you're a, pris a priest who breaks the seal of confession, a priest who offers confession to his own sexual partners, or a man who has directly participated in an abortion and wants to become a priest, then your case must go before the tribunal to receive absolution. The other two sins can be committed by anyone. The first, desecrating the Eucharist, and particularly bad because Catholics believe that the bread and wine transubstantiate into the body and blood of Christ. Messing with them is like messing with Jesus. And then there's the sin of attempting to assassinate the Pope. That one's pretty self-explanatory. So transubstantiate, I think that's where the wafer or the bread and the wine are supposed to turn into the body and the actual blood of Jesus Christ. Um, but feel free to look that up for yourself. Uh, the meetings of the apostolic penitentiary are kept confidential because they're a different form of confession. The sinner is referred to by a pseudonym, and only the major penitentiary, Cardinal Manuel Montiero de Castro, decide how the sin shall be dealt with. Presumably, a bunch of Hail Marys doesn't cut it. <laughs> That's funny. Cardinal Manuel Montero. And then that Nosex song is Montero that has the devil in it. Da, da, da. Okay. Number five, because uh, we already know that you can read the mail of the popes. All right. The Pope liked to text message. During his tenure, Pope Benedict XVI routinely sent text messages to his homilies and to mobile subscribers around the world of his homilies or whatever. In 2009, the Vatican opened up an official YouTube channel to show various papal addresses and ceremonies. The Vatican even received an iPhone application that contained multilingual versions of the breviary prayer book and prayers of daily mass. Most recently, Benedict has joined Twitter in December, two months before his resignation. The Vatican's enthusiasm for technology isn't limited to cell phones and the internet. It has also added solar panels to the roof of Pope Paul VI Auditorium as part of its commitment to fight climate change. Looks like even the ATMs in the Vatican Bank are Latin. <laughs> They're only in Latin. That's crazy. All right, very cool. All 
All right. So we go over to hub pages where we find an article, 10 Secrets the Vatican is Hiding from Us by Oboa O'Care. It was written last month. All right. Let's see what they are talking about. The mysterious aura surrounding the Vatican. The Vatican. The spiritual and administrative headquarters of the Roman Catholic Church is an institution shrouded in mystery and intrigue. Beyond its prominent role in the global religious landscape, the Vatican also harbors a mysterious aura with rumors and dark truths surrounding its hidden secrets. In this article, we will delve into 10 of these enigmatic secrets that have been guarded by the Vatican, shedding light onto the intriguing and controversial aspects from missing books of the Holy Bible to alleged alien influence, demonic possession, prophetic visions, and controversial historical accounts, these secrets shed light onto the side of the Vatican that is lesser known and often disputed. Missing Books of the Holy Bible In the year 1684, the Vatican removed 14 books of the Holy Bible. To this day, there's no explanation as to why and the Vatican is happier with the entire general population not knowing. There were originally 80 books in the Holy Bible when it was translated from Latin to English back in 1611. These days, there are only 66. The missing books are known as the Apocrypha, which in Greek means hidden. The missing books include Esdras, Tobit, Judith, the Wisdom of Solomon, the Songs of the Three Holy Children, Bel and Dragon, or dragon, Maccabees, and the prayer of Manassas. What's even stranger is that Jesus' name was spelled Lazus before the 14 books were removed. The church changed the pronunciation and the spelling. If they had never changed anything, you'd pronounce Jesus' name as Yahushua. Why were these mysterious books removed? There are many theories. Some say the content of these books didn't fit in with the Roman Catholic Church's narrative, so they were simply taken out. Some believe they made the Holy Bible too long and confusing, so they were removed. But there's no real answer. None of the books were particularly nefarious, and they don't seem to include any secrets. But for whatever reason, the Catholic Church chose to remove them from the Holy Bible, so that the Word of God was exactly what they wanted it to be. Number 9. Alien Influences A Russian professor, Genrik Ludwig, alleged, allegedly gained access to the secret Vatican archive in the 1920s and came across something extremely disturbing. Before you keep reading, keep in mind that this has never been 100% confirmed. The story has been circulating for nearly a century, and I don't actually have any evidence that Ludwig was inside the secret archives. The story goes that Ludwig was allowed into the archives, where he discovered over 53 miles and 85 kilometers of shelving and 35,000 volumes of catalogs. Wish they would catalog this archive onto the internet <laughs> so we could have all of our human knowledge. Anyway. There were papers that discussed how aliens had influenced all the most ancient civilizations in the world, from the Egyptians to the Mayans. He also allegedly found a historical record of nuclear-style weapons being used in ancient times. One text explains how the walls of Babylon were melted by a weapon that produced monstrous temperatures. The professor was never able to leave the Vatican with these documents, so conveniently for his story, no one except him has 
ever exactly seen them. Still, it's interesting from the information about aliens visiting ancient societies and helping them progress fit with the known evolution of society. In the 4th millennium BC, the Sumerians went from a bunch of primitive hunters to building walls, laying down irrigation canals, and coming up with a writing system. It could very well be that the aliens actually helped them, and that the Vatican has known about it all this time. Then again, Professor Ludwig may have just been a generating a hoax. Number 8. The Antichrist In 2010, Reverend Gabriel Amorth was 85 years old. He was also chief exorcist in the Vatican, with a history of treating over 70,000 cases of demonic possession. He had a small office on the third floor of the Vatican, where he operated as a very real exorcist for 25 years. In an interview with the Italian newspaper La Repubblica, the Reverend defended his work and freely admitted that he believes the devil is a pure and invincible spirit of evil. He also told the reporters that the devil can speak many languages, he can transform himself at will, and stay hidden when necessary. The very fact that the Vatican has sanctioned over 70,000 exorcisms is pretty shocking, but perhaps even more shocking is that the Reverend discussed an attack by the devil in 1981. Gabriel Armorth claimed that the devil infiltrated the Vatican and tried to directly attack John Paul II. And then in 2008, the devil got back into the Vatican again and finally possessed a Swiss-Italian woman named Susanna Milo. On Christmas Eve, she attempted to push down Pope Benedict XVI, but was foiled by the pontifical Swiss guard. She then went back the next year on Christmas Eve during the midnight mass and knocked the Pope over. It's very likely that Susanna was suffering from some kind of mental illness, but according to the Reverend, she was a servant of the devil. The Reverend passed away in 2016, leaving behind a rather bizarre legacy of demonic paranoia in the Vatican. Number 7. The Three Secrets of Fatima The Vatican may look like a simple religious organization from the outside, but it's a lot more mystical than people realize. They have their prophecies and their secrets, most of which they would prefer outsiders not to know about. The biggest prophecy of all was delivered March 13th of 1917. Three young Portuguese shepherds were visited by an apparition of the Virgin Mary. They were visited six times between May and October. During these visits, the Virgin Mary gave the children three prophetic secrets, and these secrets were apocalyptic visions of the end of the world. After hearing about the, how the Vatican believes they're under constant attack by the devil, it should come as no surprise that they take these secret prophecies very seriously. Lucia Santos became the speaker for the three girls. In 1941, she finally revealed to the Vatican two of the secret prophecies. They were written down and taken away. In 1943, the Bishop of Lyrica asked Lucia to reveal the third secret, but she refused. She said she didn't think God was ready for her to unveil the secret yet, but later that year, the Bishop had had enough and ordered that Lucia write it down. She did, but sealed it in an envelope with directions not to open it until the year 1960. The first secret revealed by Lucia in her memoir was a vision of hell. It was pretty graphic and pretty terrible, and we don't need to go into it here. The second secret had to do with World War I and World War II. She predicted that World War I would end, but another war would quickly follow, should men continue to offend God. And in that, she was right. The third secret was hugely controversial. 
She gave a vivid description of the persecution of Christians in the 20th and 21st centuries, along with the vision of the apocalypse. But there are many who believe that the Vatican did not publish what Lucia wrote, instead keeping her secrets to themselves and making up something to satisfy the public. Number six, UFO over Vatican City. In 2007, a mysterious orange disc was spotted hovering over the Vatican. Witnesses saw what can only be described as a silver-orange glowing saucer in broad daylight hovering over the dome of St. Peter's Basilica. It was photographed. Many different people saw it, and they all mentioned, and then all mention of it was gone. As quickly as it caught the attention of citizens around the globe, the UFO visiting the Vatican was out of everyone's memory. But that doesn't change the fact that it happened. Something strange and seemingly alien hovered around the Vatican for several minutes. In 2007, the mystery was trying to figure out what it was and what it wanted. If we consider for a moment that it was really an alien ship, and that it really was just lurking above the Vatican, we can have to assume they know each other already. It could be that the Vatican has indeed known about extraterrestrials for centuries, and the ship may have been dropping off a dignitary to meet with the Pope. For all we know, the Pope himself could be an alien, but of course, that is all just speculation. There was something strange in the sky that day, but nobody has any way of knowing if it truly did come from outer space. Number 5. The Last Gospel There's allegedly written evidence that Jesus Christ married Mary Magdalene and had babies. And the evidence comes in the form of a manuscript from the 6th century, where it was translated from Greek to the ancient language of Syria. The manuscript allegedly tells the story of Jesus Christ as an adult, which is never discussed in the Holy Bible. We see his birth and his death, not the 30 years in between. The manuscript tells the story of Jesus Christ as a sexual person who fell in love with Mary Magdalene and had some babies. This obviously is controversial for a whole lot of reasons. First, the manuscript is unreliable. It's a real piece of work that's sitting in the British Library, but no one knows where it came from or exactly when it was written. Also, the manuscript paints Mary Magdalene as a daughter of God and the co-redeemer of humanity. In other words, she was just as important to the story of Jesus. But this obviously wouldn't have sat right with the Vatican, which wanted to whitewash Jesus Christ and turn Christians into prudes. Many historians believe Jesus may have lived a much more human lifestyle than the Vatican wants you to believe. Alright, profiting from hypocrisy. This is a lot about... You probably didn't know the Vatican invested millions of euros in getting the film Rocket Man produced. <laughs> this seems to conflict... A conflict of interest, considering that Rocketman was a film about Elton John finding happiness in his marriage to his husband, David, a relationship extremely frowned upon by the church. Although that's what the movie was about, the Vatican had no problem investing roughly $1 million in getting it made so that they could get a piece of the pie. But it's a bit more complicated than that. The Secretariat State of State is always investing money. In this case, we invested, or they invested tens of millions in the Centurion Global Fund. This fund went on to back several films in Hollywood. Those investors kicked back money to the Vatican. The Vatican probably didn't even know what exactly they were invest they were investing in, but they didn't mind taking the money. I feel like each article has a little bit of more information <laughs> than the last, and it's pretty fascinating. I do, on a side note, think that we're coming into an age where the secrets are over, or at least they're tired. 
And why not? Why not just tell humanity where we are as humanity? You know, all the secrets, all the rewriting of history, it just, oh, it grates on my nerves because I'm like, all of our knowledge that we think we have and we still have secrets and people hiding history and rewriting it and whitewashing it and all the rest. I wish they would just tell us <laughs> so we can evolve with them, <laughs> with the leaders that know all this stuff and keep it from us. But I digress. That gets a little into my conspiracy theory bone. Let's listen to this one TikTok as it's describing um, the art piece that's in the main like throne gathering area for the Pope. It's called The Resurrection, and it does not look holy, let me tell you. That uh, person on there looks very tortured. It does not look like a triumphant resurrecting Jesus. It it looks disturbing. It looks like uh, if you were fighting in a video game and you walked into the final boss battle, that room looks like that final boss battle. <laughs> it's very creepy. But let's see what this uh, TikTok JRE editing has to say. They're not into Christ. They want to destroy Christ. Like the Vatican has the biggest telescopes in the world. They have one called Lucifer. They're the ones who are creating the stuff that, that turn people away from the Bible. Are you saying the Catholic Church trying to kill religion? I never said that. I, I never said that. So that was one of the conspiracy uh, people on TikTok just saying like, look at this. This is not anything good. Uh, look at this. Uh, they have like a snake-eyed uh, cathedral or whatever, and it does look like, you know, a snake whenever you look at it um, from the back. But uh, then also that sculpture called The Resurrection, it just looks kind of really creepy. <laughs> Please Google it. You won't be disappointed. It's It's pretty creepy. All right. So let's find another article. Right. This one's more about the, you know, covering up the sexual abuse and all that kind of stuff. So I will kind of lean away from that just because this is more of a supernatural or spooky, weird history kind of thing. And there's enough, like you could fill an entire podcast with all of the sexual scandals that the Vatican has known about and is dealing with. So. For now, <laughs> I will stay away from that. There's even YouTube videos and articles about the dark secrets of BlackRock and the Catholic Church. Both the Catholic Church and multinational conglomerates like BlackRock have a history of secrecy, scandal, and corruption. And there's an opportunity to challenge the controls of banks and hedge funds through cryptocurrency for potential future freedom. Key insights are that banks, hedge funds, and wealthy elites still wield significant political power in the 21st century, similar to the influence of the Catholic Church in the past. The corruption within the Catholic Church and banks, hedge funds like BlackRock is compared when connections to Epstein and scandals begin being highlighted. 
The top 1% holds 15 times more wealth than the bottom 50% of America, while the 10 richest billionaires doubled their fortunes during COVID-19 lockdown, leading to increased poverty. The wealthy corporations like BlackRock and J.P. Morgan enjoy loans with nearly 0% interest, while the average person is burdened with high interest rates, creating a vicious cycle of wealth inequality. The recent bank failures and quick acquisition of smaller banks by larger ones like Chase highlight the potential danger of bank monopoly, raising concerns about the concentration of power in the hands of a few major corporations. The Catholic Church's control over education and access to information, including keeping religious texts in Latin, is compared to a form of mind control and maintaining social hierarchy. The immense wealth, information control, and political corruption of both BlackRock and the Catholic Church are factors that contribute to their controversial status. Money and Control Wars throughout history have been fought for the sake of gaining wealth and power. So it's basically comparing BlackRock to the Catholic Church and their similarities. Um, And it takes you timestamp by timestamp on here of where they are the same kind of thing. Uh, it's like the Catholic Church and mega wealthy individuals have evaded taxes, controlled education, and manipulated information to maintain power, while the corporate lobbyists, BlackRock and Vanguard, have their own agendas, making it hard to trust information at all. The Catholic Church and financial institutions like BlackRock both use fear and control tactics to maintain power and wealth, with the church using scare tactics and banks using hedge funds, or the banks and hedge funds using their financial influence. So it's like they're using the same, it's basically showing you that the Catholic Church of days gone by was a corrupt system and that BlackRock and other hedge fund things are using a playbook right out of what they did to maintain power. So that's an interesting article. Not quite as spooky, so we'll move on. Oh, and for this episode, you need to get some tea, too, because this one might be my best fact about the Vatican. If you are a easily scared person, please scroll. This is a special bonus episode, and this will only be about one thing, because this one thing is probably the creepiest. There so probably is the creepiest. I'm going to be talking about the black magic grimoire that is kept at the Vatican. For those of you asking, I do have a podcast. It's in my bio. The name of my podcast is That's Insane with Aja, and the next episode will be about new facts of the Vatican, and it will be coming out next Thursday. Got your blanket? You got your tea? Let's get into it. So in the last episode, I revealed to you that the Vatican does in fact have a book that is referred to as the Black Magic Grimoire, but the real name of this book is the Gospel of Satan or the Grand Grimoire. It also has other names like the Red Dragon, as if the Gospel of Satan is not scary enough. So the man that is said to have written this book, his name was Honoris of Phoebus. Again, you guys, I butcher names. Leave me alone. He also wrote another book. It was called The Sworn Book of Honoris. But do you know why he said he wrote this book? Or its original name, which is the Grimoire of Pope honoris the man who actually wrote this was a freaking pope and it was supposed to only be used by priests and it first appeared in 1629 which is 400 years 
after the supposed author the Pope wrote it, which means they had it and they didn't release it until the 16th century. Yeah, so apparently this Pope said he was possessed and he spoke with Satan, and that's how he had the instructions in this book, and this book is said to contain some dark things. So again, if you are an easily scared person, please scroll because we're about to get into the deep of it. So this book is said to allow a person to summon Lucifer, yeah, and it also has the instruments required for this ritual, and it says that it's a blessing rod, and it also has instructions on how to make a deal with the devil, but you guys, that isn't even the worst thing. They literally go into detail. They say, amongst other things, the person conducting the ritual would require a stone called amalatile with two blessed candles, both of which will be used to form a triangle of packs so that he slash she may be protected from the spirits that have been summoning. And this was called the true method of, of making packs or the genuine sectrum regnum. Lord, don't let nothing happen to me. I was not summoned in nothing because, um, yeah, so don't do the, my followers, we don't claim that. God, that was some spooky stuff. It is said that it is the most potent grimoire to exist and it was discovered in the tomb of Solomon yeah this is crazy and for those of you who don't understand what black magic is it's associated with inflicting harm and it's also with providing forms of benefits for protection and it first originated on cursed tablets that fall into the former category so the tablets would have really thin pieces of lead and they would inscribe a curse against an enemy which would be folded and often sealed and pierced with a nail and the curse is then buried and commonly embodied of water wells or graves this is interesting because remember how i told you that they have the actual necropolis below the vatican and they said that they found this grand grimoire book in the tomb of solomon and it was written by a pope yeah it's kind of adding up to me oh yeah and the grimoire also contained techniques for summoning the dead and as well as invoking angels or demons this would make sense, seeing as how they have literally every dead body of every pope that worked there. Remember, I told you guys, they literally dug up one of the popes and put him on trial. And the man, they said, was talking to him like he was alive. It's probably because they have the power of necromancy in this book that only the pope can read. Yeah, so I'm going to do another video for you guys. You guys seem to love these. So that was from a fellow podcaster named Asia. And definitely check out her podcast. Um, but that was just fascinating. I just think it's amazing. Um, and I don't like uh, knowledge being lost. So anytime there's like something uh, that's like, hey, I uncovered this or that. It's like, yes, human knowledge coming together. <laughs> All right. So this is uh, Glenn Beck. There's like three parts to this, but... It's uh, him talking about his visit to the Vatican. Let me start here. Let me start at Christmas. Pope Francis made a dire warning to the, the Curia, the cardinals and everybody else in the Vatican, warning them to be ever vigilant of demons lurking in the Vatican. Now, this was part of his Christmas address, which apparently he has turned into uh, uh, an annual airing of grievances. Someplace in his Christmas address, he will put some things where he's, you know, kind of upset about 
inside the Vatican. He'll bury that in the Christmas address. So they've adopted part of Festivus into uh, the Vatican's Christmas? Uh, Festivus? Yeah, from, uh, of course, uh, George Costanza's uh, uh, holiday. Right. They had the airing of grievances as part right. of it. That's right. Well, that's kind of so what it is. is. Wow. That's kind of what it is. So he said, you have to be ever vigilant of demons lurking in the Vatican. I don't know. Cardinaling? Cardinaling. I don't know what he was calling But anyway, it was the night before. And I'm in this room with all of the cardinals, okay? And there's just a few people that aren't wearing these these red robes. And, uh, and Tanya and I are standing there, and we're standing talking to these cardinals. And this one guy who was really our host that night, he was just, you know, when you meet people and you could feel the spirit on them and the kindness and everything else, you just know when you're in the presence of somebody who's really connected to the spirit. And um, and he said to me at the time, he said, uh, you know why this is happening. And he meant why so many cardinals were being called. And I said, no. And he said, there's a war inside the Vatican. And he said, I believe that it's a war of good and evil. He said, but uh, there is a real war because there are many political aspects and basically what he described to me was deep state. There was the deep state of the Vatican that was going to do, didn't matter what a Pope even thought. And he alluded to the fact that Ratzinger or Benedict, Pope Benedict knew this and was doing basically what Donald Trump did with the Supreme Court. He was appointing all these cardinals because he wanted to stack the deck because in his words, he didn't feel he had very much longer that he could fight. Um, and I just thought maybe he's sick at the time, but it was like a year later that he retired. Um, and, uh, and so he said, um, you know, he's stacking the deck. He's trying to make sure that after he's gone, there's enough to hold back the uh, onslaught. And um, he said, and it's, it's real evil. And so we were just, and so we were just talking about it. And we're in this room, someplace in Rome. We're in this room that it was enormous. It, the, the, it was a ballroom, you know, from I don't know a thousand years ago, and it had a map of the world that was like two stories and a football field long. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was like a movie. You, like, if you were a supervillain, you'd have a desk in the center of this room, you know what I mean? And you'd have one light at the desk and the bad guy would be sitting behind it and the camera would just show him and the whole map of the world. It was like that kind of a room. Uh, it was beautiful. And, um, and so we're standing there and I'm just listening to what he's saying. And this guy comes in and he was, he was one of the Cardinals and I don't want to identify um, his role, but he was very, very high up. And, uh, man, he walked in and he walked in with all these suits, all these politicians. And the guy said, that guy's the mayor. This guy is, a, you know, a, I don't know, finance minister, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I said, man, the room got chilly. And cause I it just felt like this is not a good guy when he came in he was like you could feel it as much as i could feel the good on the one guy this guy and he said 
oh, oh yeah, he's the, there, there's, there's, that's the begin. there's the head. And, uh, he said, do you want to meet him? And I'm like, no, I don't want to meet him. Uh, and he said, you, you should. And so my wife looked at me like, why, why, why would we want to meet him? And so he came up and what the Cardinal was doing was you just judge for yourself. Just say hello. This was the spookiest guy I've ever met. I, I don't remember the conversation. I just remember thinking, I want to stop talking to him and go way away from him. Um, there is a war. And I don't think, I'm not saying this to, you know, bash the Catholics or, you know, have you question your faith if you're a Catholic or anything like that. Pray for the people who are in leadership positions. What's happening in Washington is happening in all of our churches. All right. So that was Glenn Beck with some of the encounters he had in the Vatican. For all you Catholics out there who thinks that voodoo, santeria, and witchcraft is bad, the Vatican was named after the underworld goddess named Vatica, which in Latin means oracle. And that was from Voodoo Priest Man. The Vatican is likely the most corrupt institution in our world. The Vatican is no stranger to murder, child trafficking, drug trafficking, sexual exploitation, and cover-ups. Arguably one of the most famous basilicas in the world, underneath it lies a mass graveyard. So located about five stories beneath the basilica is actually another temple dating back to the Roman Empire. That's over 2,000 years of dead bodies. If you're wondering if those bodies are of Christians or Catholics, they're not. It was actually used for pagans. And here are some of the mosaic tiles that they found beneath the Vatican in the temple that it's built on top of. So here's a quote from one of the popes. I believe that the church not only should apologize to the person who is gay, whom it has offended, but it has to apologize to the poor, to the exploited women, to children exploited for labor. It has to ask forgiveness for having blessed many weapons. That's a little ironic considering what the Vatican has done to make sure that it's always protected and people never expose them. This is Pope John Paul I, and he died 33 days after his election. Now, the conspiracy around his death is that he found out the Vatican was laundering mass amounts of money, and he was going to rectify the situation of getting rid of everybody in the Vatican that was corrupt. His plans were announced straight after he became the Pope, and he died 33 days later. In 2015, it was uncovered that two cases of child were found within the Vatican walls. And get this, not everybody involved was named. Only a couple names took the blow for everybody else in the Vatican. And then the year before that, the government actually intercepted three deliveries directed to the Vatican, all containing drugs. Cocaine was found in condoms inside of these three deliveries that were intercepted. They were handed over to the Vatican in hopes that somebody within the walls would disclose who this was going to, but nobody came forward. This is St. Peter's Obelisk, and not a lot of people know where it comes from. 
one of Rome's cruelest emperors, Caligula, actually stole this from one of Egypt's cities, Heliopolis. He stole it from Egypt and he transported it to Rome. And you know what he did with it? It was used to murder and execute Christians. They would round up every single Christian that they could find, chain them, bound them, bring them to the obelisk, and brutally murder them. Vatican and this book is about black magic. It harnesses spells and rituals, but many believe this is the book that they use to summon the devil when they are selling their souls. Kind of like the book of the Illuminati. The conspiracies of the Vatican can go on and on and on. It's truly a never-ending cycle. One thing we do know, the people in the Vatican are evil and corrupt. Let me know what you guys think about this in the comments. All right, that was from Sarah. Here's one from Joe Rogan's podcast. The Vatican has the biggest telescopes in the world. They have one called Lucifer. How crazy is that, You've right? You've gone too far. How about it's real? It's oh, that's crazy. Hyper instrument helps astronomers see through darkness. The Vatican has an observatory in Arizona. It's an optical telescope for astronomy located at 10,700 feet. The LBT is currently one of the world's most advanced optical telescopes at two 8.4. 330 That was about the telescope they named Lucifer. That was one of the strongest, like, cutting through the dark like uh space and all that kind of stuff it was pretty revolutionary i think it was in 2007 i'm not sure but all right let's look at this one Regis Lucero, an inquisitor named the Bringer of Darkness, operated from 1499 to 1506 and routinely used the power of his position for self-gain. Once, he sent an innocent man named Julian Trigueros to burn at the stake so that he could take the man's wife for himself after his death. And later, when he desired one of his many mistresses for himself, he sent her husband and parents to burn at the stake. Nobody was safe from Lucero, and in one year, 1506, he handed out 100 death sentences. Eventually, the Marquis of Cordoba sent his army to attack Lucero's prison and set all inside of it free. Unfortunately, Lucero escaped, but he was so hated and thoroughly corrupt that the Grand Inquisitor in Rome had him arrested two years later because trying Lucero for corruption would be the Catholic Church as the pods calling the kettle black. Lucero was quickly released, and in a frustrating lack of karmic justice, would die peacefully in Seville that same year. For the Inquisitor, extracting confessions was paramount, and it mattered little whether they were real or false. Inevitably, the accused would face one of many different forms of punishment, which weren't meant to actually punish the individual, but rather to just get them to confess. One of the preferred methods of exacting confessions was called strapado. In this form of torture, an individual would have their hands tied behind their back and the rope attached to a pulley. They were then raised so that they would hang from their arms, which would inevitably lead to the shoulders being pulled out of their sockets. Often, the Inquisitor would raise the victim up high and suddenly drop them before is take a tour underneath the Vatican. As we arrive underneath the Vatican, we see that it's laid out in a number of rooms marked by letters, as we can see in this aerial view map. Now we will be exploring some of the rooms in this map. Let's start off by looking in room C here. As we look in the room, we see that this is a mausoleum of a Lucius Tullius Zethus. The Vatican goes on and explains that this room was used for offerings to the dead. We read, view of the north wall and mosaic floor, 
In the corners of the mosaic floor, there are eight marble squares with circular holes through which offerings to the dead were poured during the funeral rites carried out in the burial chamber. So here we have a room where offerings are done to the dead. That's pretty common in Catholicism. Now, if we look in the next room, room E, so here in this room, they have a vase which has the image of a Medusa. So here underneath the Vatican, we have a Medusa. Again, we ask ourselves the question, this is a vase, but yet it's kept underneath the Vatican. This could have easily been removed. If the Vatican was a holy church, you would think that they would have done this. You think underneath the Vatican, they would have things that are sacred to Christ and not foreign gods, not idols and images of foreign gods. Now, as we move down further to room H, here we see that this is the mausoleum that is one of the largest and most luxurious mausoleums underneath the Vatican of St. Peter's Basilica. It says that it was built at the beginning of the second half of the second century during the reign of Emperor Marcus Aurelius and belonging to a freedman of the important Valeri family. And as we're in this mausoleum, we see that there's lots of idols from the old Roman Empire. We ask ourselves, why does Rome keep these idols down underneath St. Peter's Basilica? You would think if they were Christians, they would want to clean all this out. I can't imagine anybody who has a true church would keep idols in their churches, especially pagan idols left over from a bygone pagan era. But here we have the Vatican keeping many pagan idols underneath St. Peter's Basilica. Here is an idol the Vatican is displaying of a head of a child in gilded stucco and a lock of a hair typical of one initiated into the cult of Isis. And this particular idol is an idol of a boy who was initiated into the cult of Isis. If we look in this room, we see that some of the stucco decorating the walls. Here we have a personification of Oceanus. Remember the New Testament book of Revelation says that a beast comes out of the ocean. So we say, why is the Vatican having these foreign gods underneath its basilica? Why is it protecting them? If it was a true church, it couldn't be doing it for the sake of art, especially with all the evil things that are happening in the Vatican. And as the priest earlier said that evil does exist, the devil is real, as he admitted. But the hypocrisy of all of this is that they have all these evil images and idols underneath the Vatican of St. Peter's Basilica. We also see two figures of genuses with bat wings also portrayed on the walls. Again, this is supposed to be a holy church and a holy place. Now this is supposedly all there for many, many years. As we move into the next room, room I, the details of the mosaic floor with Mercury and Pluto's chariot, they go on and explain that this theme is an explicit reference to the overcoming of death and the return of the afterlife. They describe it as a splendid mosaic floor of mercury is depicted carrying a caduceus with wings at his ankles, walking in front 
in a chariot carrying Pluto and his wife Persephone. So here we have all these Roman gods underneath the Vatican images. Pluto, aka Hades. Of foreign gods. Well, as we move to the next room, we find out why they keep all these idols down there in these images. As we move to room U, here we find the shock of all shocks. Here on the wall, it says there is a depiction of Lucifer, that is, the light bearer, the morning star. On the opposite of the wall, there is a drawing of Vesper, the evening star, cosmic symbol of the human life cycle. We find out that when we get to room U, here we have a clear depiction of Lucifer underneath the Vatican at St. Peter's Basilica. We ask ourselves, why are they keeping this image of Lucifer underneath the Vatican? Again, you would think if you're a Christian church, you would not want to have any of these images. Now we know that they'll go on and say, oh, well, we're saving it because it's a UNESCO heritage site or something like that. This is always their excuse, saving it for the sake of art. But for the true Christian, this is not an excuse because we know if you're giving glory and propaganda to false deities and false pagan gods, what are you doing? You're in essence supporting the evil spiritual realm. This cannot be from God. And since Rome claims itself to be the one true church, you would think they would lead by example. But what kind of example is this? That you have a depiction of Lucifer underneath the Vatican for countless hundreds and hundreds of years? Now this image here underneath the Vatican has been there since their claim, which would be Constantine. We would know that he was the first one that built this uh, basilica. And so again, we ask ourselves, why are they keeping this depiction of Lucifer underneath the Vatican? Well, we think the answer for why all these images, idols, are kept underneath the Vatican is because what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with an apostate church that has always been apostate. And even now, as it is filled with Freemasons, and so we know that the reason why they're keeping all of this there now, and they're actually revealing this on their internet website, is because they want people to see this. They want people to see what they're really all about. But for the masses who believe that Rome is still a pure church, they don't mind deceiving them into believing that they are still a Christian church. As you go down underneath the Vatican, down into the next rooms, they will try to convince you on this tour that you take that Peter is buried down there in one of the rooms and that this gives credence to following the Pope. But we ask the question, why would you want to follow a Pope who has all these evil things underneath his church? It's very clear by this depiction of Lucifer that the devil is in the Vatican. He's hidden way down underneath the Vatican at St. Peter's Basilica. Looking at the history, some glaring pages involuntarily catch the eye. For instance, Pope Sergius III ordered the strangulation of his two predecessors. Benedict IX was called a demon from hell in the disguise of a priest. Stephen VI committed an act of desecration upon the corpse of his predecessor, 
Pornocracy is one of the most disgraceful periods in the history of the papacy. During this time, the Roman pontiffs led a promiscuous life under the influence of a certain aristocratic family. Alexander VI had the reputation of being Satan's apothecary. During the papacy of Clement V, simony thrived particularly extensively. Pope John XII was accused by the Church Council of murder, blasphemy and incestuous relations. John XXII initiated a hunt for witches and sorcerers. John XXIII was accused of piracy, murder, sodomy, incest, and other crimes. Even the Banquet of Chestnuts, describing an orgy in 1501, was documented. Sixtus IV allowed and was himself accused of sin. Boniface VIII said, being with boys was no more problematic than rubbing one hand against the other, and so on. So that was more on different popes uh, that didn't have a great reputation. Uh, let's see one more about that statue. Have you ever seen the dark, demonic-looking statue that's inside of the Vatican? It's called the Resurrection, and it is a surrealist and modernized interpretation of Jesus rising from the crater of a nuclear apocalypse. And it is supposed to represent the second coming of Jesus Christ and the fatalistic and ominous connotations of that event. However, this same statue is situated at the most prominent point within Vatican City's Audience Hall, which is a building that just so happens to have its interior design shaped exactly exactly like a serpent's head with two windows that resemble slit-shaped reptilian eyes and two pillar structures surrounding both the Pope's seat and the huge demonic statue that look exactly like the fangs of a snake. The tiles on the walls and the ceiling design are also strangely reminiscent of the texture of a snake's skin. But it gets even crazier when you begin flipping and mirroring the images of the supposed Jesus statue. If you mirror the left side of the sculpture, you get what clearly looks like the head of Baphomet, with a demonic Luciferian humanoid creature that also closely resembles the traditional gray alien standing on top of it, almost as if conducting and controlling the head of the beast. If you decide to mirror the right side of the sculpture, you'll get an equally disturbing result, which is a strange demonic hammerhead humanoid creature with large wings emanating from its back and a swarm of bats surrounding its body. Right, so I go over to the New York Post where they have Pope Frank Francis warns of elegant demons lurking among Vatican staff. This was uh, December 22nd of 2022. Pope Francis made a dire warning to the Roman Surya on Thursday, warning them to be ever vigilant of demons lurking in the Vatican. The remarks were delivered as part of the Christmas address, as we've heard before, a tradition that Pope Francis has turned into something of an annual errance of grievances. So Pope Francis warned attending cardinals that those who live in the Vatican are often tempted to believe they are more enlightened or spiritually protected than others due to their status and rank in the church. We would easily fall into the temptation of thinking we are safe, better than others, no longer in need of conversion, the Pope told the cardinals. But the pontiff rebuked this line of thinking with a stern warning, saying, 
Yet we are in greater danger than all others, because we are beset by the elegant demon, who does not make a loud entrance, but comes with flowers in his hands. It is not enough to condemn evil, including the evil that quietly lurks among us, Pope Francis instructed. We need to respond by choosing to be converted. He continued, mere condemnation can give the illusion that we have solved the problem, whereas what really counts is making the changes that will ensure that we no longer allow ourselves to be imprisoned by evil ways of thinking, which are often those of this world. The Pope quoted the Gospel of Luke's warning that when an unclean spirit is driven out of a person, it returns with seven more spirits more evil than itself. Our initial conversation or conversion follows a certain pattern. The evil that we acknowledge and try to uproot from our lives does indeed leave us, but we would be naive to think it will, no, it will long be gone. In short order, it comes back under a new guise. Before it appeared rough and violent, now it shows up as elegant and refined. He concluded that only a daily examination of one's conscience and a will to combat evil influences over the mind can stop the cycle of corruption. The Roman Surya is the main governing body of the Catholic Church, comprised of cardinals from countries around the world. Pope Francis has been outspoken critic of Vatican misconduct and spiritual corruption since taking the throne in 2013. In 2015, he sent shockwaves through the worldwide church with a list of 15 illnesses tearing apart the Roman Surya, including corruption, idolization of power, and clerical careerism. All right. So CNN has an article uh, by Reverend Thomas Rosica, and it's why is Pope Francis so obsessed with the devil? Pope Francis seems to be obsessed with the devil. His tweets and homilies about the devil, Satan, the accuser, the evil one, the father of lies, the ancient serpent, the tempter, the seducer, the great dragon, the enemy, and just plain demon are now legion. For Francis, the devil is not a myth, but a real person. Many modern people may greet the Pope's insistence on the devil with a dismissive cultural affectation, indifference, or at most indulgent curiosity. Yet Francis refers to the devil continually. He does not believe him to be a myth, but a real person, the most insidious enemy of the church. Several of my theologian colleagues have said that he has gone a bit overboard with the devil in hell. We may be tempted to ask, why, is, why in the devil is Pope Francis so involved with the Prince of Demons? This intelligent Jesuit Pope is, is diving into deep theological waters, places where very few modern Catholic clerics wish to tread. Francis' seeming preoccupation with the devil is not a theological or eschatological question as much as a call to arms, an invitation to immediate action, offering very concrete steps to do combat with the devil and the reign of evil in the world today. In his homilies, Francis warns people strongly to avoid discouragement, to seize hope, and to move on with courage and not to fall prey to negativity or cynicism. He is drawing on the fun fundamental insight of St. Ignatius of Loyola, founder of the Society of Jesus, the Pope's own religious family. With this continual references to the devil, Pope Francis parts ways with the current preaching in the church, which is far too silent about the devil and his insidious ways or reduces him to a mere metaphor. 
During the first months of Francis's pontificate in 2013, the evil one appeared frequently in his messages. In his first major address to the cardinals, in his first major address to the cardinals who elected him, the Argentine pontiff reminded them, "Let us never yield to pessimism, to the bitterness that the devil offers us every day." In several daily homilies in the chapel of the Vatican guest house, the Pope shares devilish stories with the small congregations wrapped in attention as he homilized on taboo topics. He has offered guidelines on how to root the enemy's strategy. First, it is Jesus who battles the devil. The second is that we cannot obtain victory of Jesus over evil and the devil by halves. For as Christ said in the Gospel of Matthew, who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. The Pope has stressed that we must not be naive. The demon is shrewd. He is never cast out forever. This will only happen on the last day. Francis also issued calls to arms for his, in his homilies. The devil also exists in the 21st century, and we need to learn from the gospel how to battle against him. And the Pope warned, adding that Christians should not be naive about the evil one's ways. The devil is anything but a relic of the past, the pontiff said. Acknowledging the devil's shrewdness, Francis once preached, The devil is intelligent. He knows more theology than most theologians together. Most recently, in July 12th, in this prepared text he was to deliver, in typical fashion, he instead gave a masterful, unscripted address to 600,000 young people at a rally in Paraguay. The Pope presented the job description of the devil. Friends, the devil is a con artist. He makes promises after promise, but he never delivers. He never really does anything he says. He doesn't make good on his promises. He makes you want things which he can't have, whether you get them or not. He makes you put your hopes in things which can never make you happy. Right? The devil has made a comeback in this pontificate and is playing an important role in Francis's ministry. Francis is dead serious about the devil. And he takes every opportunity he can to tell the devil to get the hell out of our lives and our world. It's not that Francis has been focusing on the evil one's power, nor has he been mesmerized by the Harry Potter movies or by a desire to do sequels to The Exorcist. The Pope doesn't watch TV. All of the temptations Francis speaks about so often are the realistic flip side to the heart of the Argentine Jesuit Pope's message about the world that is charged with the grandeur, mercy, and presence, and fidelity of God. Those powers are far greater than the devil's antics. So, it's it's wild. I mean, I know we're on the Vatican, so of course it's going to have religion in it, but it's crazy when I research these topics that, like, secular news and everything, they, they cover it with such, like, uh, knowledge about the religion. Um... It's just something I point out because I grew up so secluded in evangelical Christianity that it was like the world and everyone outside of our specific strain of Christianity was wrong and being deceived by the devil and all that kind of stuff. So now that I'm out of that and out in the world, it seems like the majority of people are Christian <laughs> or at least have an understanding of who and what Christianity is, you know? So, I digress. <laughs> All right. All right. I always love a good ranker list. So, let's see what they got for us today. All right. The Illuminati's Records of World History from the Future. 
The Illuminati and conspiracy theories go together like macaroni and cheese. Therefore, it's only natural that the Illuminati supposedly has control of who holds most official Vatican positions. After all, this would enable them to exert an even greater level of control over the world, and it would provide them with access to the Vatican's secret objects. One particularly interesting theory states that the Illuminati has records stashed in the Vatican that pertain to the future events. If the Illuminati actually has this power, they'd be able to see what's going to happen without human intervention, meaning they allowed countless tragedies. All right, we've heard about this one, but the chronovisor that enables people to see the past. What would you do if you could see the past and even take pictures of it? For the Pope, apparently the answer is not much. At least that's what's suggested by the rumor of the chronovisor. The alleged device would allow someone to view a specific historical date and time, and possibly the future. Some believe this device actually exists, and that one of them resides hidden in the Vatican. The Catholic Church could easily use a chronovisor to prove the existence of Jesus. Therefore, this rumor is likely nothing more than a myth, unless the Vatican has a reason to sit on one of the greatest inventions of all time. I heard that the picture, the person that created the chronovisor supposedly took a picture of Jesus on the cross and it turned out to be a fake. It was like a postcard that was like the opposite image on the postcard. It was like manipulated. So that was not real. A conspiracy theory that gained a lot of traction involves the Vatican covering up the existence of aliens. Supposedly one of the Vatican's numerous renovation projects uncovered the buried remains of extraterrestrial life. An excavation crew discovered these skulls in 1998, and even Catholic archdiocese questioned the existence of aliens and what that means for their religious doctrines. Some claim that John Paul, or Pope John Paul II knew all about aliens and agreed to participate in a massive conspiracy to hide the truth. Proof that Pope Pius Twelfth supported anti-Semitic activity Conspiracy theories about the Catholic Church and the Third Reich aren't hard to find. What's more interesting than theories, though, is the work of historian David Kurtzer. According to Kurtzer, the Vatican contained documents that prove Pope Pius XII agreed to remain quiet about anti-Semitism in exchange for Mussolini's protection. If Kurtzer's analysis is correct, there's definitive proof that the Vatican that Pope Pius XII turned a blind eye to anti-Semitism. Furthermore, Kurtzer requested access to other papers that may finally prove or disprove rumors about Pope Pius XII's connection to Adolf Hitler, but the Vatican said no. A silver hammer that determines the mortality of each pope? It's not a Maxwell's silver handle or hammer that the Beatles talked about, but the Vatican does keep a silver hammer on hand at all times. Its purpose? The Camerlingo of the Holy Roman Church uses this hammer to determine or help determine whether or not the Pope has passed. As tradition dictates, if there's reason to believe the Pope is gone, the Camerlingo calls him by name. When there's no reply, the Camerlingo taps the silver hammer on the Pope's forehead. This happens a total of three times, if necessary. If there's no by the end of the ritual. That was weird. The Vatican is home to several ancient cloths believed to showcase the face of holy figures. For example, the holy face of Genoa makes its home in Vatican City. The image of Odes 
Edessa, aka the Mandy Lion of Edessa, is another piece of fabric rumored to showcase the real face of Jesus. Biblical accounts claim Jesus gifted the cloth to Edessa's king Abgar. The king was suffered from serious illness, but he was quickly cured after receiving the image of Edessa. Is the cloth a real deal? It's actually the Shroud of Turin that's real, right? Visitors to the Vatican can attempt to find out, right? The world's largest collection of inappropriate child imagery. Perhaps one of the most damaging conspiracies about the Vatican is there's a massive record-breaking collection of sexual images hidden from view. Not only does this seem odd with the church's public views about fornication, but it's also quite creepy if you consider the potential implications. After all, the Catholic Church has experienced virtually countless scandals. Many have speculated that the secret vault contains more than 100,000 depictions of children, especially in the light of the amp and priest prox especially in light of the amp up in priest prosecution. We've already talked about the underground Vatican necropolis, a zoo made of super realistic animal sculptures. Inside the Vatican Museum exists a creepily realistic zoo made out of sculptures. Known for their brilliant level of detail, these creatures look like they could easily come to life. Notable examples include the Stone Zoo's German Shorthair Pointer and the Lion Made from Marble. This is something visitors to the Vatican Museum can see for themselves. It may not be as odd or creepy as some alleged artifacts hidden inside the archives, but it's definitely unusual and hauntingly well done. So my believe all mythology kind of brain kicks in and I'm like, maybe it's proof of Medusa. <laughs> Turning real animals straight into stone. Maybe that's what all the pornographic uh, statues of people are too. All right, there's creepy eyes in the gallery of the bust. The Vatican's gallery of the bust provides a stunning look at ancient art. Most people probably admire these busts for a few moments before moving on. But have you ever noticed the disturbing detail that all this art has in common? Here's a hint. Check out the eyes. Every single eyeball of these busts is blank. This offers a very disconcerting experience while walking past busts because of their empty, soulless eyes seeming not to stare but to follow visitors. In 1633, the Catholic Church condemned Galileo for speaking the truth. Today, many erroneously think no one during that time period other than Galileo knew that the earth revolved around the sun. However, there's plenty of evidence that others shared Galileo's views, but the church refused to listen. One of the confirmed artifacts in the Vatican is paperwork related to Galileo's historical trial. The church, the church forced Galileo to recant in 1633 and kept him under house arrest until his passing. Officials from the Catholic Church didn't officially clear his name until 1992. There are several articles about the scandals that have rocked the Vatican in recent years. Um, I'll just do some highlights. Again, I don't want to get too deep into their scandals because there are a lot of them. So high level, I will just name these uh, ones that they have put in this article. So this comes from Listverse, and it's by Radu Alexander. 10 Outrageous Scandals That Rocked the Vatican in Recent Years. Number 10, A Gay Orgy at Cardinal's Apartment. That happened in 2017, and the police broke up the gay orgy. Uh, 
And then there was another one, George Pell accused in Australia. It was a Australian Cardinal George Pell became the highest ranking member of the Catholic church to be charged with multiple offenses of sexual assault. The Catholic church sells pornography. Over 35 years ago, the Vatican bought Weltbild, one of the largest booksellers in Germany. In 2011, the Catholic Church claimed that it was shocked to find out that Weltbild's massive list of titles included thousands of erotic books. So they were shocked to find out that there were erotic books <laughs> under their brand. Uh, George Geogen's Conviction and, and Murder. In 2003... The Boston Globe won a Pulitzer Prize for the investigation into child sex abuse in the Boston area of Roman Catholic priests. The Globe uncovered evidence not only of the rampant sex crimes, but also of the cover-up by the church going back decades. Priests who were accused of being child molesters were simply moved from one parish to another. Alternatively, they were placed on leave and sent into treatment before being allowed to resume their regular duties. One of the main targets of the investigation was John Giohan, a priest accused of abusing 130 boys over a 30-year period. In the end, Johan was only given a light sentence in 2002 for groping a 10-year-old boy, but Johan was murdered in prison a year later by another convict named Joseph Drews. When asked why he did it, Drew said that Giohan was arrogant and remorseless regarding his victims. Speaking of gay men, number six, the gay conclave and Benedict's resignation. In 2013, Pope Benedict XVI shocked the world when he announced his intention to resign, becoming the first pope to do so in 600 years. Officially, Benedict cited health reasons for his motive for retirement. He claimed that he didn't have the strength necessary to endure the physical and mental demands of the papacy. Of course, this did not stop people from speculating. There could have been ulterior motives for his resignation, or even external pressure from Benedict to step down. His announcement came while the Vatican was still hurting from the Vatileak scandal, hundreds of confidential papers leaked by the Pope's butler. Italian newspaper La Repubblica followed up on the leak with a report claiming that there are several factions within the Vatican united by a common interest, including a gay conclave. These officials allegedly supported each other to increase their status and to eventually to influence Vatican operations. The report also claimed that they, they have had been vic the victims of blackmail from people outside the church with whom they had ties of worldly nature. Pope Benedict the 16th vehemently denied these allegations, as well as insinuations that there was any hidden motive behind his resignation. However, when he published his memoirs titled The Last Conversations in 2016, the Pope admitted to the existence of a gay lobby looking to influence Vatican decisions. Benedict also claimed he had successfully disbanded the power group. Ratzinger's Choir Alright, the report claimed that close to 550 pupils were physically or sexually abused at the hands of their teachers. The hands of the place was run by George Ratzinger, older brother of Pope Benedict XVI. 
Right. And it's been a systematic culture of abuse since 1945 to 2015. Right. Punishments including beatings with sticks or violin violin bows, sometimes in front of other boys for added humiliation. He admitted slapping pupils in the face, but denied knowing the true extent of the punishments endured by the students. Uh, He turned a blind eye to what was happening to them. He denied, uh, this is Ratzinger, he denied having knowledge of any kind of sexual abuse, a claim backed up by the report. In total, 49 individuals were found at fault, 45 of whom were responsible for physical violence, while nine were suspected of sexual abuse. The Vataliks 2.0, number three, killing the flock. When the Vatican... When the Vatican isn't busy with complex conspiracies and cover-ups, it still has to deal with straightforward scandals, such as one of its priests killing his parishioner. Father Gretchen Alabi was recently sentenced to 27 years in prison for the murder of Guarino Pascalga, a 50-year-old devout attendee of Albi's church in the village of Carrefello. A search of his computer revealed Alabi had photos of nuns in sexual poses, although he claimed they were sent to him voluntary. Looks like he was responsible for a woman's death, right? Charity funds used for personal renovations. And then number one, the Vatican buys the largest gay sauna in Europe. So we're back at Rinker, where they have an article, The Spookiest Ghost Stories and Legends from the Vatican, by Cheryl Adams Rickoff. Number one, demon spirit lurk. or demon spirits lurk in the Holy Vatican sites. The Catholic Church sanctions exorcisms from time to time, and perhaps no one became more closely associated with the rite than the late Father Gabriel Amorth. The exorcism expert firmly believed that demons are in the world, even in the holiest of places. He says, The devil resides in the Vatican. You can see the consequences, said. Amorth claims that Satan can shapeshift, speak in many languages, or even appear to be sympathetic. Number two, a shadowy apparition haunts a bell tower. This chilling clip was captured by a person waiting to enter St. Peter's Basilica. Everything seemed to be normal, but then a shadowy figure appeared in the footage, standing in the bell tower. Some viewers thought it might be a restless spirit of someone who passed on or committed suicide, as the figure appears poised to jump. No explanation for the creepy apparition has been provided by the Vatican. Number three, the Basilica stands on haunted ground. Uh, As we all know, It stands upon cursed soil. It was erected on top of pagan necropolis, or burial ground. The old spirits and gods didn't take kindly to the intrusion, and strange activity filled the 16th century construction site. Workers began dropping dead, and the Pope himself became ill. Worse still, apparitions in the form of crows lingered around the area until the Pope ordered an exorcism. Right, the mysterious light appears around John Paul II's tomb. Odd stories began circulating when Pope Benedict XVI stepped down in 2013. Immediately following Benedict's resignation announcement, Vatican City was struck by a bulb of light. Afterwards, 
an American Roman Catholic man was viewing the Vatican's webcam page featuring the tomb of John Paul II. Suddenly, the screen showed a bright light overwhelming the entire room where the tomb was located. The light then formed a human figure that stood before the tomb. It moved a bit, then vanished. The stunned viewer thought the light was the spirit of John or Pope John Paul II. For some reason, it's so hard for me to read that as Pope John Paul II, and I keep just going of Paul, John Paul, or Paul John Paul, or what? It's just, I don't know why it's so hard to read that name. All right. An eerie figure floats above worshipers inside St. Peter's Basilica. When British tourists Amanda and Susan Key visited St. Peter's Basilica in 2007, they had an eerie brush with the unknown. The couple were admiring sunbeams shining down through a window high in the dome and snapped a picture. But when they viewed the photo later, they spotted an ethereal apparition. It looks like an angel hovering above or hovering on people's heads. It looked almost like a hologram. I thought it was really spooky. All right. The ghost of Donna Olympia Pimpili reenacts her crime each year. The ghost of Italian noblewoman Donna Olimpia Fanfili is supposed, supposedly seen at least once a year near the Vatican. Though she was an, of a noble family, she was obsessed with the raising her station in life even higher. Her second husband was brother to the then-sitting Pope Innocent X. The lady warmed, wormed her way into Pope's good graces and became his closest confidant. The two were so close that if you wanted anything from the pontiff, you'd have to go through Donna Olympia first. Famfili's newfound status gained her newfound enemies. Seeking a way out, she secretly filled chests with Vatican gold, placed them in her black carriage, and drove away. She didn't have long to enjoy her ill-gotten riches as she died of plague two years later. But every January 7th, the anniversary of Pope Innocent X's death, Donna Olympia's ghost flees across the Sisto Bridge in her carriage. Orbs drift through the Vatican. Tourists to the Vatican frequently produce snapshots filled with ghostly orbs. Photo and paranormal experts claim that the spots appear to, due to a camera's flash or whenever there is dust on the camera lens. To some, though, these orbs are actually souls passing through the sacred place. I like that theory. Or those are the spirits, and they're just like, yeah, we're orbs. But there is a huge debate on whether orbs are d just dust particles or if they represent spooky activity. All right, this last one on this list is a strange shape caught on film. A 19-year-old tourist captured a video inside St. Peter's Basilica that seems to suggest the presence of a ghostly apparition. A strange image appears and floats above the crowd. Is it simply... Is it simply a flag meant to guide a tour group or a spirit, as the teenager claims? All right. And I believe that's it for the information that I have right now. I will keep doing some research and find out if there are any uh, point of view stories, not just historically documented conspiracies and things that have been confirmed, but like hearing people like saying like, Hey, I was walking through St. Peter's Basilica and I saw, you know, the chimera or like, you know, whatever it is. So 
I digress. I will keep looking for those kind of stories and do another episode on like, I saw this in the Vatican kind of thing. But for now, I think that's a good place to end this for now on all the creepy stuff around the Vatican. I mean, what do you guys think? This is the most holy site of a religion. So as always, be respectful. But with that being said, there is a lot of mounting evidence of corruption and awfulness within the Vatican um, and evil. I do believe in people like that one guy was saying he felt like there was that uh, cardinal that was leading him around like a host and he was so full of light and he was so you could tell he really believed what he you know was doing was connected to the divine. I do believe people can be out there that are in this that absolutely have connected with source and like have true intentions and all that. I'm sure that's, you know, there, but also just like the other guy, that guy was describing that the room felt cold after he walked in and he just felt like super evil. I believe there are power players and in seats of government in seats of uh, church power in anything that are truly evil. <laughs> so while I do tend to gravitate more towards the supernatural claims that have happened in the Vatican or the subterfuge and seeing why do you have images of other gods in your basement kind of thing? Um, and why are you built on top of the pagans holy places so that's all gonna influence what you have now build a baptist church in this haunted forest that's been haunted for thousands of years <laughs> oh but i digress all right this was a fun episode to make um i stayed away for the most part uh from the sexual scandals because that could be an entire expose kind of podcast episode in and of itself but it does show you that unchecked power absolutely always has the power to corrupt and a lot of people have lost their lives because of that corruption and the vatican holds a lot of our secrets as humanity so just like the library of alexandria i get nervous whenever all of humanity's knowledge is stored in one place and that means it can be destroyed in one place so that's why i'm like you might want to stop just keeping all the secrets but I digress. Some people claim that di- disclosure of aliens or what have you um, will cause mass panic and cause society to crumble. But I'm kind of over the secrecy. Like, maybe if you have to breadcrumb us along, sure, go for it. But some things just feel true. And some things, you know, I don't know. I think we could handle some things, especially if it's things we need to prepare for. But I digress. I'm getting off track. I'm into like an alien conspiracy now. I think you could do the same thing with like pick a religion and you could have articles and articles of, you know, if they had power over people, they also had corruption, you know. So I don't think this is definitely unique to the Catholic Church, although. The Catholic Church has shaped much of history, so that's why they are the culprit, if you will, a lot of the time. Because it's like, oh, modern history? Yes, the Catholic Church did this, this, and this. (laughs) So 
like I said, with any religion, you have your people that are absolutely one with their deity or one with their way of thinking and have the greatest of intentions and all the rest of that. But then, of course, power corrupts. <laughs> and I do think it's interesting how the banks and hedge funds are using the same playbooks as the Catholic Church used in olden days of maintaining their power and unchecked dominance. But I digress. All right. <laughs> Have I said that before? Yes. All right. So thank you for listening to this episode. It was fun to make. Um, let me know if you want to hear more. Um, or have other topics I haven't covered before, let me know. Uh, send me any stories for future episodes of paranormal encounters that you may have had. Um, if you want to be a guest on the show, shoot me a message as well. So there's a couple ways to get a hold of me. Um, you could join the Facebook page by searching PS Spooky Shiz or Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz on Facebook to find our Facebook page. Um, that's where you will see me posting all the time, the spooky memes and stories and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you can connect with me through that avenue, or you can comment on whatever streaming service that you are listening to. There's usually like a, what did you think about this episode? Feel free to contact me that way as well. All right. If you're reviewing this podcast, make sure to give us five stars and, uh, Stay spooky, my friends. P.S. This comes from Reddit. It is from Ludis six years ago. All right. The Vatican. A shared experience. Right. I'll start off by saying I'm not religious in any shape or form. I don't believe in God, Jesus, or a higher power, but maybe I should. My story happened years ago, sometime in 2010. Myself and my now wife went on a trip to Rome and spent a few days seeing the sights, getting drunk, eating amazing food. Part of the Roman experience includes Vatican City. As neither of us are religious, it wasn't high on the list, but we did want to see the Catholic opulence and the Sistine Chapel. We made our way over to the city, and that's when the crowds began to get bigger and bigger. Tourists, coach trips, cameras, everywhere. We were standing in the main square, and the queue to get into St. Peter's was so huge. We were debating whether it was worth going in or cutting our losses and hitting a bar. Suddenly, out of nowhere, this guy appears. He was tanned beyond belief, probably in his 40s, leathered skin, curly gray hair, bare feet, and dressed like he just walked out of Mecca. To say he looked well-traveled was an understatement. He stood close to us, observing his surroundings, and both myself and my wife instantly felt calm and at ease. A complete contradiction to how you would normally feel if someone abnormal approaches you. It was almost as if the crowds parted around us. The noise turned into a low hum, and as this happened, he turned and spoke to us. I've been all over the world, and this place is Babylon. He gestured over to the queue of people, and the tourists glued to their cameras. He had an accent, but his English was impeccable. 
We were both taken aback and nodded our heads. It was exactly how I was feeling at the time. He then said, just look at it, pointing to St. Peter's, and touched both of us on our arms. We turned to look, and when we turned back, he'd vanished. The hum disappeared, and the noise of the crowds returned. Immediately, I felt like I'd snapped out of it, and my logical head returned. We both scanned the crowds, but we couldn't see him anywhere. There was nobody within 10 feet of us when he had approached, and there was no way he could have crossed 10 feet to clear ground between us looking at St. Peter's and turning back. We couldn't make any sense of it. It wasn't until later when we talked about it that we felt exactly the same feelings and that the same experience. We both felt at ease and at one with the world. We spoke our thoughts, which is a weird thing to say, and the noises from the crowd had filtered out whilst we were in his presence. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we met Jesus, or a saint, or even God, but that day something happened and we both had exactly the same experience, which for me adds to the proof of something unworldly. I don't know what it was, but I'm happy it happened to us, and it's a story I like to tell even though I get weird looks. Thank you.